0: had times in your life and you've watched your life fall apart you've watched your life have no fruit there's no joy there's no peace you're edgy all this you've seen it happen in your own life and i know i have where you've disconnected and and you've just started to die this is the whole point of john chapter 15 you've probably already had times in your life as well where you've stayed connected and all of a sudden, you've seen your life, and yes, it takes time. It doesn't just, it's not just plug it in, turn it on, and woo, or unplug it, and blah, you know, it. These things take time. But you've probably also had times in your life where you've been connected to Christ. You've been involved in the word. You've been involved in prayer. You've decided in your heart, no, I'm not going to react that way. I'm not going to do that. Jesus calls that abiding. He calls it remaining. He calls it being kind of stuck with him. And you've seen all of a sudden over time, you know, these little pieces of, that's what fruit sounds like when it grows in your life. Okay, that's what it sounds like. But you've seen it all of a sudden appear in your life. And you you look and you go, you know what, that used to bother me so much and now it doesn't bother me anymore. Or uh, I used to be so scared of that. And you know, I'm just not fearful. I used to be so anxious about uh, my finances and that's kind of changed, even though my circumstances haven't changed. That's fruit. And this is what Jesus has been talking about. And then Jesus decides to go kind of hardcore on us, I guess. And he starts defining what he's talking about. And when when I read the scriptures, I ask myself and I ask God and I ask the writer uh, a lot of questions. I ask them, why did you write that? What, what, what was happening during this time? What was going to happen later on in the scripture that maybe Jesus or somebody's preparing them for? What, what happened before? Maybe this is a reaction. Jesus is reacting to something. I ask myself, what was going on during the time? What, why did Jesus choose those particular words? And then are those words found other places? And did that word mean something different to them? All these kind of questions. And, and you know, God, God doesn't mind you asking any of those questions when you read the Bible. He does not mind you going, this is stupid. He doesn't mind you going, I don't understand. Why would you do that? I don't get it. He, there, you don't need to defend the Bible or defend God. It stands on its own, and God stands on his own. So, but, but just get in the, getting into the routine of these questions. And so in this particular case, Jesus is talking to his disciples basically at the end of his ministry. I don't know if you've ever been around anyone who was kind of on their deathbed or about to die or found out that they'd gotten some terminal illness and all of a sudden their language begins to change and the things that are really important to them start to come out. I experienced this with my grandfather. We had no relationship and then it got to the point where he was about to die and he's just trying to give me as much information as he possibly can for me to live my life. Granted, most of it was... (laughs) horrible but this is what he was trying to do right this is the same way jesus is at the end and he's just trying to say look this is the deal i want you to bear fruit now listen to what happens john chapter 15 verse 12 my command is this he's getting as clear as you possibly can love each other love each other love each other this is my command oh, throughout this whole thing. he's I want you to bear fruit. I want you to do what I say. I want you to abide in me. And now he's getting really specific. My command is this. Love each other. And then he doesn't stop there, which is so annoying to me. Because if I were to just say love each other, all of us would have our own kind of idea of what love looks like. Some, for some of us, love is like a feeling. And we just kind of go, oh, okay, I'll love my wife. Oh, mm, ooh, ooh, I hope that feels good. Uh, you know, or, I'm going to love this or what, however you grew up. But Jesus defines what love looks like. He says, I don't just want you loving each other. I want you to love each other a particular way. I want you to love each other as I've loved you. And that's what I don't like about this scripture. Dear Lord, thank you for this message. No, because he defines it for us. And we have to start asking ourselves questions. What does it mean to love each other like Jesus loves us? And who is he talking to? He's talking to Christians. He's talking to the future church. He's saying, guys, Christians, followers of Jesus, I want you to love each other. I want you to love each other like I loved you. And you start asking yourself questions. Well, what does that look like? What what did it look like then for them? What does it look like now for us? How do we, as a church, love each other? That's what I'm hoping to to accomplish this morning. Just a small topic of love. Um, And then the other thing is, if you are not buying the whole God thing, or the whole Jesus thing, maybe you're here and someone has kind of dragged you here, and they've asked you like 17 times to come to church, and finally you're like, if I say yes, they'll be here, I'll go, and... I'm going to give you a verse you can use on them to get them. Okay? So that's coming later. But then that way, when they come on you with the whole Jesus thing, you got something, bam, that you can come at them with. And so it'll be, just check it out. It'll, it's coming later. And, it's, and, and they won't have anything to say. They'll just start sobbing right, right away that, it, that, that, that you just got them that, that big. This is what he says. This is my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. Now, everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go bear Fruit, fruit that remains, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Again, verse 17, this is my command, love each other. Now in society today, there are many ways we get out of this idea of loving each other. The first and foremost, and the biggest one is isolation, we kind of feel like we can do it on our own. This is why CeCe was talking about small groups. We, we feel like, you know what, I just, I'm, I'm busy. I got a lot going on. I, I'm, I'm just going to kind of steal away. If I need anything, I'll, I'll let you know. This is not the biblical model of community. The biblical uh, uh, model of community is that we're together somehow, some way. You can call it a small group. You can call it accountability group. You can call it whatever. But there's a group of people, followers of Christ, that you have the opportunity to show love to. You have to have them. Now, when Cece says something like, you can't do it on your own, that is absolutely true. But there are some who are sitting here going, you know what? I kind of am doing it on my own. And you're thinking, so what do I need a small group for? Because the majority of the people can't. And if you're that spiritual, you are desperately needed in the kingdom of God. If the goal of our Christianity is to come and learn and be mature, and so that we're strong in the Lord, strong like bull, if we're all ready to go, if that's the goal, we've failed as Christians. The reason we're strong in Christ is because we're members of a body. And so if you're strong, lead a pick and small group. You'll have more impact on the kingdom that you've ever had before. So let's, let's just keep going. So this is what Jesus says. He says, uh, uh, this is my command that you love each other as I've loved you. And then in verse 17, he does it again. And he says, This is my command, love each other. Well, how did Jesus love? Because if this is the model, if this is the example he's going to use for us, how did he do it? How did Jesus show love? The first and foremost thing that he did, and this isn't kind of the, I'm not going to go through a whole long list, so you can write them down on your notes if you want, but he humbled himself. It says in Philippians that although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be held on to, something to be grasped. But he emptied himself and took the form of a bondservant. See, it was inconvenient for Jesus to become human. He had to give up being Existing as God and had to take the form of a man. He had to limit himself. It wasn't going the way it was going before. He, although he existed in the form of God, he emptied himself. That is the number one thing we need to understand about loving each other. Is we must be humble. We must be willing to pour it all out. We must be willing, even though we're ahead in education or whatever, to be made low. We must be ready to go and do it. The other thing Jesus did is he, did, he was never too busy for people. The only time Jesus isolated himself was to pray. It was to, it was, it was to be with his heavenly father. It was to kind of get charged up for what he knew he was supposed to be doing, and that was serving people. It was loving people. It's the only time he'd isolate himself. I struggle with wanting to isolate myself. I struggle with just wanting to go, you know what, enough people. Just put me on a deserted island and let me, you know, you know, do whatever. This is not the model Jesus had. It says in the Bible, which is so amazing to me, that sometimes he and his disciples didn't even have time to eat. That's like how much he was about his father's business. Now again, this isn't a guilt trip and and you're going to love the last thing we have to say on this because it's really cool. But, uh, uh, he'd interact with people, people he didn't like. That's the other thing. I tend to love the people I like and not really care too much about the people I don't like. It's not the biblical model. Uh, a while back, um, I was with a couple of buddies and uh, they were believers and we had scheduled a lunch together to talk about the church and, 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 and my favorite topic of all time you can call me in the middle of the night i won't answer but if i did and you said i want to talk about the church i could talk from six o'clock in the morning all the way till i go to bed about the church we could talk about the lights we could talk about the carpet we could talk about worship we could talk about missions we could talk about the school i love talking about the church i love talking about ministry i like talking about ideas i like all that stuff and so i was with Two of my favorite people, and we were going to go to lunch, and I was also hungry at the time, so cut me some slack. Going to go eat lunch, one of my favorite places, with two of my favorite people talking about my favorite subject. Hot diggity. And all of a sudden, somebody else showed up. Now, when I get done with this uh, story, uh, I want you to look around and see who's here, because next week... Only half of you will be here uh, because you're going to judge me, uh, which is fine. Um, So that person showed up and I thought to myself, this is going to ruin everything. I don't like this person as much as I like these people. And we're probably not going to talk about my favorite subject. And we're probably going to talk about their favorite subject, which is not even close to my favorite subject. And maybe they don't want to go to the place I want to go to, which is my favorite place. So now we're not talking about my favorite thing. I'm not with my favorite people. And we're not at my favorite restaurant. So I spoke the truth, but in a way that made it look different. You can call it a lie. You can call it whatever if you're like super hyper spiritual or a Pharisee or whatever. Technically, it was true. I, I said, "Hey guys, we got to get to our meeting," which we had a meeting. We were going to go to our favorite place and talk about our favorite stuff, and um, but but it wasn't really a meeting, right? I mean, it made it sound to that person like we had a meeting with other people scheduled, you know. Um. So you know what I I did. I ditched him. You ever use that term? You ever grow up, you ever have your kids and you're like, you got your friends together and then you got the one friend that nobody likes and so you go, let's ditch him. That's what I did. Now, I didn't ditch him. We didn't run away and get in the car and speed off and, you know, watch him in the rear view mirror rubbing his eyes, okay? It, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't that bad. But I made it sound Well, I didn't want him there. I ditched him. Okay? Here's what began to happen. We got to our favorite place and we started talking about my favorite subject, the church, and oftentimes when we talk about my favorite subject, the church, we get on my favorite, favorite topic of my favorite topic, which is people. And the Holy Spirit began to do what the Holy Spirit does and began to say, wow, people are your favorite subject of your favorite subject. Wow, you're so spiritual. Which, Which people? And I'm like, oh, this is not going well at all. And here's what the Lord said to me because the Lord, as we talked about in our question series, usually talks to me in questions and I hate them and he says you want to ask a lot of questions about the word I'm going to ask you a lot of questions and here's the question he asked me and I know exactly where I was sitting and I know exactly which bite I was going to take of my food when he said what if someone did that to one of your kids and I realized I ditched one of God's kids i just I was that guy on the playground. I was the now now maybe i didn 't do it in a way where they even knew, but I did it That is in direct violation with what Jesus is trying to accomplish in John chapter fifteen as a matter of fact, if Jesus kind of had to give a parable he'd say suppose a pastor was in his office with two other disciples and he'd tell this story right and then he'd say which one showed more love and they'd go not the pastor and then everyone would go right and they'd write it down for all eternity in the bible that's the parable jesus would tell the parable of the deceitful pastor right it's not what he wanted to accomplish But I see, I started looking at my life and I started realizing I don't. And maybe you're with me on this. Maybe we're not as cruel. Maybe it's not as blatant. But maybe we've positioned our lives in a way where that never even gets to happen. Maybe we've positioned our lives in a way where we don't even get the opportunity to love each other. Maybe we've isolated ourselves or created an environment or a world where we live in where where we've kind of, we'll never have that happen because I'm just never around anybody but the people I want to be around. John obviously wrote the book of John, and he wrote John chapter 15. And a couple decades later, he wrote another book, which we've, because we're brilliant in the church, have entitled First John which is really second, John, because John really should be first, John. But anyway, um, he wrote 1 John. And in chapter 4, because here's what's happened. Jesus died about 30 years later, John writes John, and about 20 years later, he writes 1 John. So you've got this 50-year span that John has able, been able to watch the church and see what the issues are. And he's been able to go back through the Holy Spirit and be reminded of all the things Jesus said. And now 50 years later, he's been able to go, OK, I see what Jesus said. I've watched for 50 years and the Holy Spirit's beginning to just kind of well up in me to write a little bit more. And so he writes first John. And this is a letter to, to Christians everywhere. And here's what he says. And, 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 and I only have a few of the verses uh, up there behind us. He says in 1 John chapter 7, Dear brothers, which is sisters, dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. You're starting to get that picture, the same as in John chapter 15, of this idea of abiding. If your fruit is love, I guarantee you you're connected to the vine that's the source of that love, is kind of what he's saying. If you know God, if, if there's love, if you're able to kind of um, uh, uh, fulfill this command, God is doing it. The God of love is giving you the, the, the strength to do that. And then he says this is an extraordinary statement. Do you want to know how God showed love? Like if we're just supposed to love each other, wouldn't a good standard for us to follow be God? <laughs> wouldn't he kind of have the corner on how to love? Here's what he says. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Again, the idea of abiding. Here's your point, your number, your point for this morning, if you fill out your, um, your little notes there. Love initiates action. This is how God showed love. He sent his one and only son. In John three sixteen it says, for God so loved the world that it initiated the action of he gave his only son. Love initiates action you don't just sit and love you don't just sit and feel if i want to love my mom that love has to come into some type of action this is why jesus said if you love me it will initiate the action of obedience if you love me you will obey my commands you will do what i say see john After 50 years of watching the church says, Hey guys, we're losing it here. We got to go back. We got to love each other. Let me show you how God loved. He gave. It initiated action. Love initiates action. This is how God showed his love among us, that he sent his one and only son into the world, that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then he makes this unbelievable statement. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If God, who has everything, who knows all, who's created all, if if his love initiates an action, how much more should our love initiate action to one another and if we're isolated if we don't have any Christian friends or believers that we can serve and, and, and again I got an encouraging word at the very end then we're not in a position to obey this command or if you're evil and somebody shows up and you pretend you've got a meeting that you don't have and you dismiss that person that's just that's worse see The action of loving, the action of giving, the action of doing is not the hard part. The hard part is having the relationship to be able to do it in the first place. That's, that's the hard part. And that's what we want to get away from, right? We want to get away from those difficult people. But Jesus is our model, right? He didn't get away from the difficult people. He was around them all the time. Oftentimes we get hurt and wounded. And so we, we back away. And, and and rightly so, right? We've got these things. But Jesus was hurt and wounded. He didn't back away. Oftentimes we 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 get into something that's, you know, something that happens between two Christians and, and we're arguing and it kind of starts to go and go and go, and and, and all of a sudden it, it deteriorates. Jesus, when he was accused, he didn't even say anything. We rehearse. Right, we, we, When we're hurt, we go home, and when we're in the shower, we go through it over and over again in our mind. Maybe, maybe not in the shower, but maybe somewhere else, in our car driving to, to work. And then we start having conversations that we didn't even have with the person, that we might have, and we start rehearsing it so we can get all our cards straight, get everything and all our ducks in a row so that when next time it comes, you're just like, bam! Yeah, you didn't see that one coming, did you? Jesus didn't do that. Jesus was denied three times by pretty much his best friend. And he even knew it was coming. And he's like, "Uh, you're going to deny me. No, I'm not. (sighs) Yes, you are. He would hang out with the guy who was going to essentially have him killed. Amazing how Jesus showed love. Now, for the the guy who doesn't... um, Believe in God who's here, or gal, or whatever, and you want your verse uh, to, to, to smack a Christian around. This one's a doozy, and you'll love it. B- basically, this next verse is talking about the fact that we don't, we don't see God. So you got, you got us. Like, we can't prove that he's there, okay? I, I can't show you that, that God exists. But <laughs> You're going to be blown away at why. Okay, it's in verse 12. No one has ever seen God. That's what it says. But listen to this church. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. In other words, if we as a church do our job people will see God in a way maybe they've never seen Him before. Maybe the fact that people struggle with not seeing God is because we're not obeying this command to love each other. Maybe we're not taking care of each other like we should. Maybe we've isolated ourselves. Now, when I talk to a church like this, uh, it's, you know, we do a pretty good job of this. But I think we could do better. I know I could do much better. You know, I I think there are relationships I could develop that maybe I've isolated myself from. What an incredible statement in verse 12. No one has ever seen God. Granted, acknowledged, got it. But, if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. They might see God's love through us and our ability to, let things go and our ability to take care of one another and our ability to go oh don't worry about it and our ability to find out what's going on in each other's lives this is again why i'm i feel so passionately about small groups and i understand if you have a reason you're not in a small group i get it i'm you I, I know it. I know the feeling. I know when they start up, and I, I've been there before when I was not here, when I was in the pew. and uh, Well, our church didn't have pews, but. Uh, and, and they'd be like, Yeah, you need to get in a small group. And I'm like, I don't have time. I'm busy. I got it. You know, I, well, here's what I'll do I have my accountability partners. I'll just make sure I call them. And then what happens when I go, Oh, fine. And I sign up and I go, This is awesome. It happens every time. Does it not happen every time? Every time I'll be in a small group and I'll be like, this is so cool. I love Christ's bride. And you guys are like, yeah, except for the one you ditch. Okay, don't just leave me alone. Okay, we'll let it go. See, I I think all we need to do is just give ourselves more opportunities. I think I think that's really all it takes. Now, now watch what happens. I I, I showed you. I told you I was going to tell you what. Um, um. How Jesus is the model. Okay well anyway in first john it goes on let me just let me just read this god is love just in case you want to know you know we that's been quoted all over the place just in case you want to know where it's found it's found uh in uh first john chapter 4 verse 16 god is love whoever lives in love lives in god and god in them this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment In this world, we are like Jesus. Here's what your translation says in verse 17. In this way, love is made complete among us. Remember this completeness of love that actually shows who God is? It's made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world, we are like him. We're like Jesus. See, John is commenting on John. John is commenting on John chapter 15 when Jesus said, my command is this, love each other as I've loved you. Now, 50 years later, John is going, look, it's complete. If we're like him, if we love like him, if we're patient like him, if we handle people, skills, and situations like him, God's love is made complete in us. Do you realize the responsibility we have (laughs) as Christians? Bummer. It's almost like the weight of people experiencing God is on the church. How horrible is that? Wouldn't you rather just have it not be us sometimes? We can't get out of it. Now, here's the exciting part Jesus has given us everything we need to accomplish it. This task is not impossible. Jesus has given us everything we need. You say, but even to love that guy, he does. Even to love this person that's done all this stuff to me. I I guess we're supposed to love like Jesus and Jesus could pull it off. It says in verse 17, because in this world we are like him. Now. Here's the encouraging thing. I want to read a story about Jesus showing love and we'll see, is it impossible? Is it like, you know, you know, I don't even know where to start. so maybe that's the thing As we can, we say, okay, we're a church. We're here. How do I even start to love somebody over? Like, let's say this side of the church doesn't even know this side of the church. How are we going to love them if we don't even know them? Right. How how are we going to do this? In John chapter 13, again, we're in John again. It's talking about kind of a mindset. Well, it's a story about Jesus and how he showed love when he showed love. Watch. It's not behind, so I'll kind of just tell the story. It was just before the Passover festival. This is a huge festival for Jews. Big deal. Okay, a lot of preparation goes into this dinner. Okay, it was just before the Passover festival. Another thing about this dinner, it has a certain uh, uh, priority of things. You don't just, you know, you got to do certain things a certain way. It's been this way since since they came came out of Egypt. Okay, back to this first verse. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Okay, that's a really nice way of saying Jesus knew he was going to, in just a day, they were going to whip him, they were going to spit on him, they were going to pull out his beard, and they were going to nail him to a cross through both his hands and one nail through his feet. So this is what's on his mind. This is what would be on your mind. You ever have a thing at work, a presentation you're supposed to give and you're working on that presentation and your kids come up and they want to ask you a bunch of questions and you're super stressed out because you've got this presentation to do and so you're just like, I got no time for this. Or you're working on something, you're trying to get something done because you got to go or you're preparing a meal because you got to take it to this thing and you got to be there at a certain time and you just don't have time for that. Imagine if you knew you were going to die the next day. Where your state of mind would be. I'd say Jesus was a little, I don't know, distracted, maybe. But not Jesus. Even when it means his own death, even when he could just say, hey guys, can it be about me for once? I'm going to die tomorrow. You know, come on, let's get it together. That's not what he does. And I think this particular story, more than any other story, kind of gives this idea of what it looks like to love each other. So, he says he's going to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. As a matter of fact, in the the, uh, New American Standard, it says he was about to show them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Again, he's with the people who are going to betray him. He didn't ditch him like the bad pastor in the parable. (laughs) Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal and he took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist. The guy who is going to die puts a towel around his waist to serve his buddies. After that, he poured water in a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. See, I don't think loving each other is really that hard. I mean, any one of us can make a meal. Any one of us can put our love into action. What's hard is doing it in the context of relationship. What's hard is going through life with people. What's hard is Jesus investing all this time in these disciples who just, one's going to betray him in in just a little bit. The other one's going to deny him three times, even after being warned. But the act of loving, in this case, it was washing the disciples' feet. And, you know, nowadays, kind of, we have foot washing ceremonies and like it, it's weird, I don't know, I, when, I, when we left our last church, like one of the ways they wanted to send us off and was to, to wash our feet, and I don't want people touching our, my feet, actually, I don't want people, don't even look at, my, don't look at my feet, I don't want you to even look, don't look, no, right? It's like, it's like, it's become this kind of, you know, wash, back then, it was just like, and Jesus went out and he just started washing their car, like this just this is what the servant did. You'd you'd be walking, it was dusty, and you'd get there and you'd take off your sandals, and there'd be a servant who'd just wash your feet. It, 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 Jesus picked up a vacuum and started vacuuming the house. You know, it's it, it's kind of that type of thing. We've turned foot washing into this monumental thing. What makes it monumental is that it was Jesus, the one who deserves all honor and glory the Alpha and Omega, the creator of the universe. Now, Jesus has something extraordinary after this. Unbelievable. He says this. Let's see, John 13. Here, here we go. I closed my Bible. Do you understand what I've done for you? It's what he says to the disciples. You call me teacher and Lord, and and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. You also should wash one another's feet. In other words, you need to serve each other. Jesus, showing the full extent of his love, gets up and he wraps a towel around his waist and he washes his disciples' feet. And then he says, you get it? Do you understand what I've done for you? says i have set you an example that you should do as i have done for you now watch this he says very truly i say you no servant is greater than his master nor a messenger greater than the one who sends him now that you know these things you will be blessed if you do them see i think the encouraging thing is that it's not that hard it's just not that hard to love each other. I think what's hard goes all the way back to the beginning of what we said is humbling ourselves. That is what's hard.